Today on the Multiply Podcast, we've got Jeannie Mayo talking to us about leading through grief. Check it out. Hey everyone, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. This is David. And this is Jared. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. We're so glad that you're back, and you're going to be glad that you're back because we have Jeannie Mayo back. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jeannie, oh, you're so nice. thanks again for coming on the Multiply podcast. How are you doing today? How are you enjoying summer in Atlanta? Uh, What's it like down there? Is it 140 it is degrees? Great. Or? <laughs> well, no, no, it's not really bad, except the problem is because of, of the hurricanes and tornadoes, other places we've had a little bit more rain than usual but we're doing great it's a beautiful day outside and hey we pastored 15 years in nebraska and then 13 years outside of chicago so warm weather is a friend i'm not gonna gripe i love how you uh you say no it's great out here and then you introduce two things that can kill you as uh, other than these, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and the rattlesnakes and the poisonous spiders. That's that's why we love the Northeast, right? Other than that, we're doing great. Yeah. We're doing great. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Well, uh, last time Jeannie was with us, if you didn't hear that, you need to make sure you listen to that. Jeannie talked about uh, mentoring, coaching, pouring into leaders, and really what it takes to leave a legacy where you even live beyond your years in the lives of other people. And uh, it was uh, very inspiring and helpful for me uh, to listen to. And I hope Jared was taking notes because he really needed that one. <laughs> I was. Jared, <laughs> Jared, I hope you took notes. You're too fun. Well, that was one of your one of your points is to, to take notes based on your conversation. So yeah, I, I did. Yeah, yeah, you're too nice. <laughs> you're too good. On the last episode, uh, you shared a little bit about your family and your sons, and and uh, you mentioned Sam. And um, it's right. obviously been a, a challenging year for you, as you've said, uh, you know, right. not goodbye, goodbye, but goodbye for now. And uh, so right. thankful, obviously, for the hope of heaven and the hope we have in Jesus. And we really wanted to commit this episode in a special way to talking about what it looks like to lead uh, in the midst of grief. And one of the things about tragedy and loss, and, and just to kind of put my cards on the table, because not all the listeners know me or my stories, last year I buried my father um, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away mm-hmm. almost two months after the mm-hmm. diagnosis. And then my younger brother, uh, Josh, who was 31, a, um, elementary school teacher in Vegas, uh, died of a sudden heart attack in October. And so mm-hmm. um, 2017 was a pretty terrible year for our family. And one of the things that you learn in the midst of tragedy is that um, life doesn't have a pause button. Um, right. And, and, right. And we'll talk about some healthy ways to help ourselves slow down. But at the end of the day, everything keeps moving. And so right. Right. we want to talk a little bit about right. leading through that season. So, Jeannie, uh, you're very gracious, first off, to be willing to even talk about this with us. It's been less than a oh, year. Oh, my honor. And uh, I know my this is going to serve many well. Uh, the truth is all of us are going to be in seasons like this. Um, and so, right. Jeannie, give us a, just a little context on yours and Sam's life together in ministry and just kind of bring us up to uh, where you were uh, last August. Sure. Um, you know, my oh gosh, I'm I'm so blessed, and I'm not trying to be cheesy um, because I was married. We had 48 wonderful years together. 
and I often said that old song, Wind Beneath My Wings, when I described Sam, because that's really who he was and continues to be, even now in my own heart. You know, as anyone told you, you're my hero. You're everything I would like to be. I can fly higher than an eagle. He's the wind beneath my wings. So most everywhere we were, he was a senior pastor, and I was the youth and young adult pastor, and then also founded and ran Christian schools there. And so, you know, it was, um, he, as you said, passed away at the end of August, beginning, well, end of August, uh, a few months ago. He had had about three years prior to that, a serious stroke out of the blue, again, much like you referenced in your own situation, very sudden. Um, He was driving to visit some people in the hospital, and long story short, it kicked in a form of dementia, which I had never heard of before, but I'm told by the doctors that it's second most common next to Alzheimer's. Hmm. It's called Lewy body dementia, which um, is... The neurologist said to me, if he has Lewy body, this one is one that makes Alzheimer's seem like a coveted friend. Hmm. And I I knew that was not something I wanted. Nonetheless, it really was where we headed. I was, I was privileged to keep him at home. I hired a Christian caregiver when I was at work or on the road, <clears throat> excuse me, who'd come in. But it was less than three years that I had him after that because... Lewy body, if anybody's familiar with it, it moves quite a bit faster than Alzheimer's and has some very extreme hallucinations and delusions, which make the personality of the person immediately very graphically change. And then also walks with Parkinson's disease. And so huge personality change, um, also a pretty, pretty firm uh, crippling that began to take over. So that's kind of the journey uh, that we have. But again, gosh, you know, I, I, it's so fun to even tell you guys this. Um, he lost the ability to recognize me, lost the ability to recognize his son. Then he lost words not long after that. But the one thing he did not lose until maybe two weeks before he passed was his spiritual language. And so I had said to the caregiver, why don't you clock for the next week how much time we hear him using his prayer language? Then I'm going to do the same when I come home and I take over, just a wild guess. And uh, gosh, David and Jerry, we, we came up to an average of around five hours a day wow. uh, that he prayed in his prayer language. And and again, just such a picture of the enemy able to sometimes mess with you physically, mess with you mentally, but not able to mess with your spirit. Well, that's a, that's an amazing story, Gene. I'm curious as you're going through that, and I can't imagine um, watching someone you've loved and spent so many years with not recognize you and your own kids. And right. um, so, as you're going right. through that, you're still doing ministry. Right, like you're still yes. preaching yes. and teaching and telling people about God's goodness for you. How did you <laughs> wrestle through that? Well, you're so kind, and it was not easy. Hmm. Um, I think for me, it well, I often say that adversity 
reintroduces a person to themselves. And so, um, you know, I, I had to to face honestly some of the emotions and the questions that were coming up. And I certainly didn't try to be perfect with everybody that I was ministering to. On the other hand, I knew that um, I had to be aware that I had to fight my own challenges alone rather than just drag everybody through the mud myself. Here's what I believed for many years, and I really came to believe it deeply through all of this with my husband, Sam. I think faith is somehow, uh, I think real faith can be defined as choosing to trust God's word and God's character, Mm. even in moments when you cannot understand your circumstances. And, And when I anchored my faith in that, Lord, I choose to trust you, even though I don't understand my circumstances. I choose to trust your character. I choose to trust that you're good, even when my circumstances aren't good. Uh, I choose to trust you're my dad and that, you know, you haven't closed your eyes to what's going on. And then I, I just let myself in my own processing with the Lord, I let myself live up close. I didn't try to deny uh, my confusion, my anger, my hurt, and sometimes even my betrayal. Mm-hmm. Now, did I did I take those words when I was in the middle of that to the pulpit? No, because I, I think those are strong emotions that I almost would unfairly, that's kind of like the airplane pilot that gets on the plane and says, listen, everybody pray for me today. I don't feel worthy to fly your plane. I'm really mad at Delta. I hate what I'm doing. I'm not even sure I'm good at flying this airplane, but pray that I do. I mean, maybe he feels that way, but I want to know after he resolves it. But, But I lived up close to those feelings. I journaled them. I talked them through with the Lord, found a couple of people that I thought I was not going to wound them by being candid friendship-wise with my emotions, and then also sent myself to Christian counseling Mm. because I thought, this one's a big one, and I want to make sure I had enough wisdom to know if I didn't deal with what was going on inside of myself well, uh, it was going to leave scar tissue on me that would be pretty permanent. Um. You know, as I'm listening to you, Jeannie, I hope people are hearing your heart, your story, but also just some of those little practical nuggets of wisdom and truth, things like you just, you know, like you just said, the idea of seeing a Christian counselor and getting over maybe, I I think in a lot of ways, the stigma of that has passed. Maybe that's more previous generation, but there still are people who hesitate when they think of speaking with a professional counselor. And I just feel like counselors um, are a gift to the body. And um, and really can strengthen us. And then having, as you mentioned, close friends that you can be very, very candid with. You know, I actually this past Sunday, um, I we're going through the Psalms right now and I was in Psalms 10 and uh, it's a Psalm of lament. And what's interesting is that in 2012, somebody, I forget who, studied the top 100 songs, according to CCLI, the top 100 songs that were sung in our churches. And out of those hundred, only a five of them, 
Um, only five of them had any sort of lyrics that would even qualify as lament. Um, you know, I wow. kind of understand wow. that because, like, you know, in a congregational setting, it's a little uh, uncomfortable to sing songs of lament. However, right. when you study right. the Psalms and you categorize the Psalms, whether it's Psalms of praise, thanksgiving, wisdom, uh, messianic Psalms, the, the lament, the category of Psalms of lament is far and away the most. And so there's something wow. I think in our culture and our maybe American Christianity where there is a collective distrust of lament, um, whereas the scriptures invite us into it. And even when we grieve, right. sometimes in the Christian community, there can be this sense of, yes, go ahead and grieve, uh, but maybe the quicker you get through it, the better. Um, or the, you know, get back to being right. a strong, brave Christian, a real Christian. Right. You, know, you can right. have your season, right. but... And uh, one of the things I was noticing in, in studying the Psalms is that if, if I'm seeing it right, lament is not something we do from time to time. It's not triggered just yeah. by tragedy. No. It's actually a continual position of the heart of the believer because lament is just our way of saying things are not the way they are supposed to be. Right, um, right. And if you, right. See, if you understand the kingdom of God, you know that's the tension we, we live in. Um, right. And one of the things that helped me a lot in last year in, in losing my dad and my brother was um, a couple things, resting in the sovereignty of God, um, right. understanding that he has, he has a perspective, um, he has a plan that I can't see, I can't understand. And even if I understood, I don't know that it would necessarily help me that much, um, but, but trusting. And then reminding myself that we serve a God who is not unfamiliar with suffering himself. Um, in right. Isaiah 53, right. Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And um, this past Sunday, I ended my talk just by saying that, you know, Jesus suffered. I mean, we see Jesus suffering. We see him lamenting throughout the Gospels, not just in the garden and not just on the cross, but he, he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps uh, over Lazarus. Even knowing what he's about to do, he still weeps because he's fully human um, and fully God. Right. And so this idea that Jesus suffered, not so that we would never suffer, which is what some people maybe would teach, uh, but so that um, we would know that our suffering would not be without meaning or without end. Right. Uh, Beautiful. It's not wasted, and it's not, it's not the final chapter. And that's one of the things I had to keep reminding myself as it related to my, my dad and my brother was this sense of like... Um, uh, I think C.S. Lewis talks about at the end of his Narnia Chronicles about the, right. he said, everything so far has just been the cover and the title page. And as you step so into good. eternity, it's like you're just starting to write chapter one in a book that goes on forever and ever, chapter after chapter. And all the chapters that are yet to be written for you and Sam and for me and my dad and for me and my brother and um, right. that sort of stuff sustains me. So what I, what I want to ask Absolutely. you is... During this season, did you, um, this is how I found myself, and not everybody's journey is the same, so you may not relate to this, but did you find yourself thinking more than usual about heaven? And Absolutely. Um, how did thinking about heaven uh, play into your journey? Gosh, <laughs> absolutely. I did. That's fun that you would even reference that, because I still believe it. So I, I think, uh, you know, it goes without saying that, when we have uh, people that are there that mean a great deal to us, that we want to be reunited with, 
uh, heaven becomes a lot more than an ethereal little song that people that are over 60 sing about. And so, yeah, I, I certainly did. And I do even now, even last night, uh, as I fell asleep, I still, I'm not trying to be all whatever, but I still sleep on the same bed that Sam and I have used for the majority of our marriage mm. and I sleep on his side of the bed now. And again, to some people that might be just cheesy or gross or whatever. To me, it's comforting. And as I was falling asleep last night, I was feeling myself, especially missing him. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you know, it'd be nice if I could have a dream about heaven tonight or something, simply because, and by the way, I did not have a dream about heaven unless somebody thinks the story needs to go that way. But my point is that, um, you know, as we have more treasures in heaven, I think, I think it becomes much more real. And I have to, Dave, I have to sometimes say to myself, Jeannie, do you even really believe in heaven? Because mm. if I do, though I'm going to be very sad about the death of somebody that matters that much to me, very sad, heartbroken, my my sadness largely is centered around my own needs. If I really think there's a heaven, um, much less a hell, uh, then it, it makes my perspective on things, my priorities, even my choices in life, uh, a whole lot easier to make, if that makes sense. So I have to, yes, deeply have found myself yearning and believing even more, but also having to say, Jeannie, don't let this go away, because that heaven business and heaven and hell uh, can become nice colloquialisms in the church world that we almost grow past in our own quote unquote maturity. And I think it changes how, how we approach the gospel. You know, in the first podcast, Jeannie, you, uh, David told a story about how you guys first met and how, um, through the challenges of his daughter, Madeline, you were really reaching out to him and connecting to him and what it meant. So if you if you didn't listen to that, I'll go back and listen to that. It was a, it was a great story. And I'm wondering, um, I'd love to hear your perspective on how we help pour into leaders who are going through grief or going through suffering. Because obviously it's a little oh, different, okay. but I know you've had a lot of experience uh, doing that over the years. So what are some things sure. that have been helpful for you when you're trying to pull your life into a leader who's really going through some terrible time in their life, some moment of grief? Well, I think the biggest thing, and everybody would go, yeah, yeah, we know, but I, I think we don't do it. I think we expect people to be over their grief way too quickly. Now, with Madeline, the Lord was amazing, and and she didn't die. She lived, and she's a thriving, adorable <laughs> little girl. David's nice and sends me pictures every once in a while, and I relish them. Um, not every ending comes out that way. Yeah. And so when somebody's going through the difficult times and the ending is not as we would want, like somebody gets promoted— uh, to be with the Lord or dies and they're not, we're not sure where they go or, you know, on and on the list could be. 
I think one of the biggest things we have to say to ourselves is don't expect them to be over this in X months. Uh, it's been real interesting, and I, I really don't want anybody to take this as a cue from me, please, because that would cheapen my honesty here. I've had to realize, no matter how epic Sam Mayo was, people get through listening to Jeannie Mayo say, gosh, I miss my husband. I mean, they needed me to be okay, and they needed me to be okay within three months of when he passed. And um, so I think one of the biggest keys is saying to yourself, leader to leader as you're reaching out, especially if the end of the story does not come across the way we wanted, keep revisiting. That doesn't mean they have to live in their their pain. That's not what we're saying. But I think we're scared to talk pain with people because we think we need to have an answer. Yeah. And I think 95% of us don't need somebody on the other side of the coffee cup to have an answer. We just need to feel like somebody cares enough to listen. And And so, again, that may not be too profound, but... Don't expect, you know, people to be over it, like, uh, as quickly go back and say, how are you? You know, it's been two years now, and I know it's still tough. And one other simple pragmatic that people did for me was just walking into my life during some of the painful times to do the simple pragmatic things like coming over to the house to clean or making me a meal just or saying, Jeannie, you need to get out of the house for three hours. We're going to come watch Sam. He likes us. He's going to be happy. Get out of that house. You know, because again, some of those pragmatic things, which sounds so simple, become lifelines, not just the leaders in crisis, but to all of us. Yeah. I love I love the two things you said as well, which is give people the time, right? Don't rush them through grief. And then also do these helpful, practical things. And, um, you know, my wife lost her mom about a year ago after a two-year battle with cancer, and she was 56 Mm. when she passed, um, just ready to retire. You know, so it was a total shock. And one of the things that I realized, as you said, it really connected is – if you're if you're serving somebody or friendship with someone or love someone who's going through grief, like it's a lot of people do those practical things early on, right? Like the first couple of weeks, right. or first month. Right. But I hear you. They because they expect you to go over it, and they just kind of they're moving on with their life. I would encourage people to think, hey, do those things long term, right? Like, like I agree. Six months out, eight months out, a year out, go like, hey, could I come watch your kids so you can just go out because I know. I know this is probably started difficult or can I make you a meal? You know, I think that would, um, those things speak loudly. I agree. I agree. I agree. One of the things that you would do, Jeannie, when you would text me, um, whether it was about Madeline or even more recently about my dad and my brother, um, you were always, and I've kind of adopted your, um, you modeled this for me. Now I kind of have done this also is you would shoot a text out and, and you always were very intentional saying, I don't, 
don't reply. Like, don't, there's no pressure to reply. Uh, you know, I tend to be a replier because that's just the way I'm wired. Um, but, know. you know, you know, allowing people that sort of, and so now I do that too when I reach out to people. I'll say, I just want you to know up front, I'm probably going to shoot you a text like every other day for the next couple of weeks, but it's not because I'm expecting to hear back from you. It's just I want you to know that you're right. on my mind, you're in my prayers. Right. And uh, that the, those practical things, and, and the, one of the things I, I learned about grief is, it's sad, yes, but it's also tremendously disorienting, um, yeah. and you just yeah. kind of can't. You it's just, and and one of the things someone told me one time is people in grief don't know what even always to ask for. Um, I agree. They're not sure what they need, and so your example of your friend saying. Uh, and I don't know if you intended to say it this way, but this is the way I heard right. it, and this is the way I think it can be helpful, is just to s- almost force you to say no as opposed to requiring you to say yes. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So, because, and you, you just said it, grief makes almost fog in your brain. So somebody is like, rather than saying, what do you need, yeah. nobody, nobody thinks like that. I agree. Yeah, and you don't have the energy, honestly, or the margin, emotional uh, uh, margin no. to to list out no. a bunch of things. So you just kind of say, "Here's what we'd like to. Here's what we're planning on doing," and you kind of allow them to say no if they if they don't want that. But you take that sort of I initiative. Um, we're gonna uh, wrap up our time. I think this has been. Uh, I'm, I'm sure this is gonna be very helpful for people at, in seasons of life when they're gonna need to hear this sort of thing. You know, when you think at where you're at now you know, um, 10 months, uh, you know, you think coming up and one of the things about grief always is the different little anniversaries, um, the different little memories and and things like that. Um, you know, um, when you think of what some specific things that people maybe have done for you, is there anything beyond some of the things that, that you've already talked about described or when you think of, man, that was so helpful. That meant so much to me. Um, what are some of the things that people did for you as a leader? And even if it was practical things to take things off your plate or to help you uh, with the regular routine of what you have to do as a leader and director of so many different things. Uh, what are some of those things? What, did, what were people doing to help you during the season, maybe practically? I think, again, we've, we've all got different things that most connect to us. But for me... Um, Again, it, the thing that most most mattered was, and we've already said it. They would say, like I, one of one of the people who most blessed me said, "I am going to give you ninety minutes every week for the next month on Thursday afternoon to run errands for you. All you got to do is figure out." what the errands are, nothing is too trivial, um, and then the person would text the night before and say, remember, I'm coming by the office on Thursday, I'll be there to X, if you're not there, that's cool, just even leave me a note, tell me the errands, even if it's just picking up bread at the store, I don't care what it is, and the person literally um, just exactly what you said, almost made it difficult to say no. So whereas before I felt embarrassed to ask for that stuff, you know, yeah. the person, and it wasn't a one-time hit. It was four weeks in a row, consistent. 
she'd remind me the night before and and certainly with errands and all of that but what that really said to me was again um i i know you're hurting let me come alongside and take some weight off of you so again she knew that i had a bunch of that you have to look at the person and go hey what would matter most to them do they have young children come take care of their young children do they need somebody to sit with i mean on and on the story goes but just that was the thing that most stood out to me and one last simple thing that would be very hard for most people to imitate Uh, But gosh, somebody uh, unbelievably had kept a voicemail of encouragement, somebody on our pastoral team that Sam had sent to them. And at the right time, post Sam's promotion to be with Jesus, they asked if they could share that with me, which obviously was emotional because, gosh, I'm listening to my husband's voice prior to the stroke. But any simple tokens, pictures, memories, that just say, hey, he may already be with the Lord, but we remember to. Just those pictures, memories, for me, the voicemail, it just said that somebody else remembered, not just me. That, you know, that, that means so much. And I think people are almost afraid sometimes to even say their they name. Um, and, I agree. You know, one of the ways you help people is you keep them alive, so to speak, through telling the stories. Absolutely. And, and, uh, they, Absolutely. Every single one of um, Sam's friends and those affected by his ministry, they actually saw an aspect of him differently than you would have. And so you, you get to keep learning about him through their stories and celebrating him. That's wonderful. Right, right. Hey, Jeannie, normally we would ask um, a leader that we have on, how are they continuing to grow as a leader but I'd love for you in the context of this conversation to say, have there been some helpful resources for you as you've gone through and dealt with your grief, maybe some books or um, some sermons or podcasts or anything that you would recommend right. to a listener who's going through grief right now? Well, let me, let me say the one thing that has been most instrumental for me, and it's so simple. Um, it's journaling. And I know that everybody goes, yeah, yeah. But um, as I read the book of Psalms, of course, it's no mystery that David in the book of Psalms was so outspoken about his emotions Mm -hmm. um, and what he felt. And yet this same guy who also committed adultery, murdered somebody, but yet this is a guy up, down, up, down with his emotions. If you were a woman, quite honestly, we'd be saying, is it his time of the month? But he wasn't a woman. <laughs> so we weren't saying that with all of his emotional peaks and valleys. Well, I say that about but David all the he, time as well. So Do you? Well, all right. All <laughs> must right. be a David thing. <laughs> yeah, must be. But, but mentally to say, gosh, this is the same guy that the scriptures define as a man after God's own heart. And so what a massive encouragement. So for me, and again, we all journal differently. For me, I have a hidden file on my laptop because I I pound out faster than I do handwritten. Everybody's got, you know, whether it's on your iPad, whether you're a, you want to do it in a handwritten form. Interestingly, as I've studied, the data tells me that uh, journal writing that allows yourself 
to express emotions without apologizing, making excuses for them, feeling like you have to do all the balancing comments uh, is just a really healthy way to process. And so my journal, everybody does it differently, but mine is just in the form of a conversation to the Lord. And um, gosh, I can't tell you uh, how helpful that was. Some days I would find myself journaling a couple of times a day just to have something to vomit on the screen. Other times I'd go, it's not like I do it every day, I'd go for several days. But that journal was so helpful for me because I told myself I didn't have to mask anything, I didn't have to make it all good. Uh, but but in my heart, my journal was going to the Lord, you know, and and so again, it massively, massively helpful. And one other simple thing that everybody was going to go, yeah, yeah, on. I had to choose to quietly make gratitude um, a part of my life. And it wasn't like I was going, what I'd like to thank you, my husband is dying. That's not what I'm saying. But when the grief and the lament gets deep and heavy, mm-hmm. you almost, at least I don't know about you guys, but I, there were days that I thought, I'm not sure I can breathe today. I mean, mm-hmm. this the first time he didn't know who I was. I, I just, whoa, wow. Um, and And so I had to quietly keep choosing really on a, I did it on a daily basis. I I had let my gratitude journal go and I started it back up again, just writing down two or three really simple things from that day that I was grateful for because gratitude almost gave me the strength internally to face another day, Uh if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Jeannie, you're a legend and inspiration. You're so kind. You're so kind. Hey, if people want to follow you, are you on social media? Is there a way for them to... I sure am. I'm everywhere, probably. The, you know, the normal uh, Jeannie Mayo on Instagram, Twitter, and all that. And if you're a Facebook person, uh, the friend page is full, but the fan page is the Jeannie Mayo because somebody stole my name. So... The Gmail, it's just nothing profound, but it's a fun, I put what I call geniisms on there just from the journey. It seems like people remember the little one-liners almost more than anything else. So if if people are interested in the little one-liners just to kind of epitomize some truth, they may want to check it out. I know you have a book called Geniisms too, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah. If they want to, yes. If people want to find some of your resources, is there a good place? Gmail.com or is there a, what's the best place for yeah, them to find no, some of your stuff? Yeah, no, you go to youth. You're so nice, Youth Leaders Coach, Youth, youth leaders and Leaders coach. Plural Coach dot com. Awesome. You'd be wise to check those out. Thank you so much, Jeannie. Thanks, um, Jeannie. Thank you for My listening, honor. guys. Thank you. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>